Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. I am thrilled to be joined uh, by a colleague that I'm thrilled to call my colleague. Reg Chapman has just been nothing short of outstanding for us at Channel 4 uh, for the long haul. And and most recently, if you missed it this week, he did two reports on what's going on in the city of Minneapolis in terms of gang-related violence. Um one explaining basically how kids end up in a gang and the other one um, to, tonight that he did uh, was how you turn uh, a weapon into a semi-automatic weapon that becomes machine gun like and, and how they're able to access that. Um, Re- Reg, I'm always proud of you, but, but that work you did this week, because I got to tell you, people need to see this. They, they they need to understand it. And they might not like the way it tastes, this medicine, but they they got to know this is reality. This this isn't this isn't us sensationalizing things for ratings. This is the way it really works, and nobody knows that better than you. And you brought that to the forefront, and you put it in front of people, and you said, "Okay, this is the real world." And I know you've known that for a long time, but I want to congratulate you on those two pieces of journalism that are so important to our state and our cities right now? Well, <laughs> I'm humbled by your words, Mike, because uh, no one works harder than you, and I appreciate right. that coming from you. It's a huge compliment. But it's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Yes. And, uh, a lot of officials don't want to talk about the fact that we have a gang problem in our city, and this highlights of how deep of a gang problem that we do have. Reg, part of the problem, and I want you to expand on this because you did it the other night wonderfully, is... I mean, it, it, I almost look this as akin to corporate America. What are we competing against? Well, well, the gangs and the carjackers can make thousands of dollars really easy. How are you going to recruit against that? Tell them to go to school and hey, you save your money. Explain, explain how this really works on the street and how they're able to recruit these kids 14 and 15 years old. Well, a lot of the kids see the fast money, and that's what they want. And these carjackings, a lot of these cars, the expensive cars, the ones that are higher end of the ones the kids are targeting, and they get those, and they can get good money for those, twenty, thirty, forty, sometimes $60,000 for these cars. The other cars that they're carjacking that may be your Toyota Camry or your Nissan Maxima, they get those, and they use those cars in the commission of other crimes, robberies and burglaries and shootings, and then they dump them to get another car to keep going. When you have a 15-year-old kid that can make $20,000 a day for a chopped-up car, for, for selling parts, how are you going to entice them to, to go straight and work a job for $15 an hour? That's the issue we're dealing with. And, and, you know, people always say you can't talk about getting rid of crime until you first talk about getting rid of poverty. It's poverty-driven is why we have this issue with our gangs. They're all about who has the most money, who has the most drugs, and they're the ones who are on top. 
You know, we had Tyrone Terrell on the other day, someone that you know well uh, as well, and he, yeah. he said it was nine gangs 25 years ago, and now it's 150 gangs, and a lot of the gangs are really clicks, uh, but there are no rules, and, and, and there's no code in the street anymore, because at least when you had fewer gangs, you could define who's turf and, and who was with who. Explain that a little bit to us, uh, why that matters, and why the more gangs there are, uh, the more disjointed and the more unpredictable and, and, and the more potential horrendous crime we have. Well, Mike, back in 1996, when it was Murderapolis, when we did have the few gangs operating in our cities, you were able to sit down and have a gang summit because there were gang leaders. There were people you could talk to to say, okay, why are you doing this? This is why usually gangs had off-limits to elderly, off-limits to women and children. What we have now are offsets of gangs. They're cliques, and and they're run by neighborhood kids, and whoever has the most money, drugs, uh, are the ones who run it. Everybody wants to be a leader. There is no leadership. There's no type of foundation to say, okay, this is what we stand for. This is what we don't stand for. These young men that are involved in the cliques, there's no moral compass. They just want their ultimate goal, and whoever's in the way is just collateral damage. Uh, I want to be encouraging, and it's just so discouraging to hear what is reality, and our job is to bring reality to the people, so at least you know what it is that you're working with, if, you know, what it is that's out there for the people that, that, that live in this city or, or, or this area. Explain how uh, the recruitment of juveniles has become, I mean, it's a key marketing component. It really is. This is something I got directly from Minneapolis police and members of the gun unit. When they show up to some of these crimes, some of the drive-by shootings, some of the homicides in the city, they see active older gang members on the scene talking to the younger guys, 13, 14, 15, making sure they get the weapons they need to go retaliate. They they only go after these young guys because they know they're not going to get jail time. They know they're not going to go to jail if they're 13 or 14 with a gun. And specifically, since we look at our juvenile detention centers, the one Totem Town in St. Paul and the, the home in here in Minneapolis, they're closed. There are no beds. So, and these young people know this. That's why they are committing crime after crime. You're finding 15-year-olds with 10 or 10 or 15 carjacking cases and, and never been disciplined. You're finding, you know, 14-year-old girls with five and six carjacking uh, cases. So it's not just the young men. It's the young women who are being enticed into this world of gang involvement. Reg Chapman is our guest. Uh, his two reports, look them up online at WCCO.com if you didn't see them uh, when they ran tonight at 6 and, and, and Monday, Monday night at 10, just, just riveting pieces. Uh, one of the things that you did was a ride-along, and in, your, in, in the uh, report that you did, uh, you're approaching Broadway and Lindale, and, and this is considered to be kind of the epicenter uh, of where there can be gang violence. Uh, how do they manage that, watch that when they know it's a hot spot? As far as police? Yeah. Well, police know that that West Broadway corridor, Lindell and, and Broadway, Broadway's the dividing line. Anything south of Broadway belongs to the lows, click. Anything north of Broadway belongs to the highs. They've gotten so familiar, the gun unit has gotten so familiar with these young people, they know these guys. They know when they throw them in jail for a violation, they're going to be right back out, and they're going to see them right there on the strip. They are strategically placed in that area to make sure things don't get totally out of control, but they can't be everywhere at every time. But remember, when I did that ride-along, Mike, there were times when I was riding on the north side of Minneapolis, and we were the only car in service, and that was just one officer, me and a photographer. So we couldn't respond to certain things because they didn't want to put us in danger. So we had to wait until another crew would come from a different precinct because there are no cops on the streets in North Minneapolis. 
And these gang members and clique members know that. They know at any time, at most, there might be five officers on the north side in the shift. Can, can you please stay on with us through a break? Because we haven't even gotten to the piece you did tonight, which I think is startling, too. Could you, could you have a few more minutes? Yes, sir. Anything for you, Mike Max. Reg Chapman, man, uh, the best in the business and, and what he's been able to do to bring you the reality of what's really going on on the streets, not just theory, not just what you want it to be, but what's really going on out there is riveting. More with him, including how they take a weapon and turn it into an automatic weapon next. Welcome back. Joined by Reg Chapman, my colleague at WCCO-TV. He did two great pieces on what's going on in the city this week uh, on WCCO-TV. One dealing with uh, the gangs, how they're formed, how they're recruited. Um, the the other one uh, tonight about uh, how they convert weaponry uh, from you know a, a standard pistol uh, into a machine gun, in essence, uh, by changing the clips. Uh, Reg, tell me, explain first of all what they do and how they do it. It's called an auto sears, or commonly known as switches on the street. And it's a metal device that uh, you can you can get. You're not supposed to get it. They're unauthorized unless you're a dealer. But they're getting on the black market, and it alters a gun and changes it from firing as a semi-automatic weapon to an automatic weapon. So just like a 9mm pistol, pistol, you pull the trigger once, a bullet comes out. You pull the trigger again, a bullet comes out. When they put the switch on there, the bullets, you pull the trigger, it continuously fires until you lift off the, off the trigger. You can fire off 30 shots in three seconds. That's what we're hearing across the city now because a lot of these gang members have had access to these auto sears or switches. And what's even crazy now is that police are telling us that they're are even 3D printing them. They're plastic and not as durable as the metal ones that you get in the black market, but that's why you see so many of them because they're using 3D printing to print these things and pass them out among clique and gang members. But, you know, Reg, when you say that, I, I, I mean, if they corner you, you have no chance. If they, if they decide to spray into a crowd, it's horrific because they're, in essence, shooting a machine gun. And they call that collateral da- damage. Uh, the uh, gang member we talked to said that if uh, their rival gang member that they're after is in the store with their mother, whoever's in the way of that automatic weapon is going down. They don't care. Um, they use it to, uh, like I said, to take care of their ops or their rivals. And as you see, they're shooting at funerals. They're shooting at funeral homes. They're shooting at repasses. They've even shot in churches. So it's the moral compass is off. Uh, there, there are no boundaries, uh, and these auto sears, or these switches, have police uh, concern because it's not even summer yet, and we're already, you know, on record pace again for homicides and shootings. And what happens when it really gets warm? And we talk about these switches in the hands of gunmen, gang members. Reg, I, I've been doing some things the last couple of days that I never thought that I, w- I, I can't imagine that this would have ever been in my top of mind. As the trial goes on for the three officers in George Floyd case over in St. Paul, you know what I'm looking at first? I'm looking at the weather reports, and I'm trying to figure out if the jury comes to a conclusion or you know whatever it is uh, that may incite some kind of a protest, riot, whatever it is. And, and, and right now I'm feeling like the only defense we've got is a cold, frigid day um, to keep people inside so that they won't be so motivated. I never thought I'd look at that. You probably do too, huh? Yeah, definitely. You hope that it's a... Uh if the verdict comes back and, and it's not favorable for what people or activists want, 
that you pray for below 20 degree day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, you hate to say it, but I literally, that, 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 yeah. I feel like that's our best defense right now. Thank God for Minnesota winters, but uh, we're just hoping that, you know, all calm heads prevail. I think we've been through this enough through uh, the first George Floyd trial, as well as the Dante Wright trial to this federal trial that maybe cooler heads are prevailing and people are doing other things legislatively instead of marching in the streets. The gang person that you talk to gives you what picture of the future in Minnesota in terms of gangs? He believes a lot of the young people who are involved in the gangs don't want to be. It's the end all to be all. They can't find jobs. There are, there are no opportunities. Um, there are very little opportunities for them. Um, but some of these young people I've talked to that are involved in these cliques, Mike, they're super smart. They're geniuses. It's they can amazing. figure it out. They're computer heads. They're artists, uh, spoken word artists, painters, some photographers, some videographers. I mean, these guys are talented. And if we can just find a way to, to take that talent and to put it in a positive direction, then we'd be all good. But until that happens, until those resources are poured into the communities where this is affecting uh, people, it's not going to change anything. Okay, so t- let's take Deshaun Hill, who, who you know, <laughs> my God, I, I was driving back from the university yesterday, and I was going to take a shortcut, and the next thing I knew, I was by North Central University, and I forgot the funeral was going on, and it was just room for pause on this terrible blizzard day, and these vehicles are, you know, there's not enough parking to, to sustain uh, what they want for for the service, and, and, and he's this, you know, incredible kid on the north side of Minneapolis that, that you know, a great athlete, uh, by all counts, great friend, all those things, and, and he's murdered, and, you know, I mean, he's executed for crying out loud. Tell me what effect that has on the north side as you see it when, when it becomes front and center and it's not gang versus gang and it's not a police shooting it's just purely a high profile innocent kid how does that resonate over there what steps do people take after something like that our young people are living in fear they're afraid to be young most people who knew d hill we're extremely proud of him. This young man was a shining light. He was the next big thing to come out of the north side. Uh, this kid was polite. He was smart. He, he told his mom that, you know, if this football thing doesn't work out for me, I'm going to be an, enge- an engineer. And he had the grades to do it. He was looked up to by so many young people because he did everything right. And because he did and was cut down so violently, so senselessly, it has our young people frightened and their parents and even a bigger uproar you talked about the crowd at that funeral the other day and that was because northsiders take care of northsiders they they had to show up in that blizzard to be there and when i was in the vestibule of the sanctuary there was very little talking people were so hurt they couldn't find words but no. just the presence the hugs the touches walking by touching the fellow northsider to know that we're here i don't know what much i can do but we can be here together and we can get through this together. Reg, do you ever personally, and and do you worry about uh, another effect in, in the form of PTSD for yourself and others because you've seen so much for so long, and so have they? Definitely. I know that our young people are suffering from PTSD. I know their parents or guardians are, are doing the same. Um, there aren't enough mental health counselors to go around, no. especially of color. Uh, you find different coaches. Thank God for the coaches yeah. and the ministers in this community, from Bishop Howe uh, to Pastor Herring, 
these guys are, are opening up their churches and allowing the community to come to heal because it is traumatic. And uh, from someone who's been to war and who understands what PTSD is, I can look in the faces of fellow Northsiders and know they're suffering from the same thing that a soldier or Marine or airman does who's gone to combat. What's worse right now, what they've seen or the fact that they don't know when this ends? The unknown, exactly. What they've seen does impact them, but just the uncertainty of every day. I mean, it's almost every day there's a new black body, either on the north side or the south side. And so that causes an alarm in almost everybody who has to do business in these areas of town. Um, just because you don't know what's going to happen next. And that's the biggest fear. I think people are concerned about what's going to happen next, more so than what they've seen in the past. Now, now today they found, uh, they arrested someone, a 19-year-old, in the shooting of this 10-year-old that was on a trampoline, and it's taken a long time. That happened last May. Uh, explain to people why it took that long to find out. What, you know, they say you know, you know, the streets keep secrets. Why would that secret be kept for so long? Well, see, that's hard to say. Uh, I know a lot of people have been pressing people to know because there are witnesses to these crimes. There are people who know things. And sometimes it takes a while for someone's heart to melt, for someone to say enough is enough. And during that time, uh, that precious little child was one of three yep. that were shot in the head, you know, in a, in a certain neighborhood amongst, you know, days apart. So I think it just took a while for those tips to call in uh, for people to say, this is, we got to get these people off the street. We got to get them off the street. So that's why it took so hard. But plus, our homicide detectives, um, Minneapolis police, are working overtime. These guys are, are few in number, but mighty in spirit. And they're doing the best they can, but they always say they can't do it alone. So this time, I believe it was community that helped these detectives find their person. Uh, last question for you, Reg, as, as we peer ahead. We, we know we're short on, on police officers and, and, and investigators uh, based on the amount of crimes that we've had. What can be, do you think recruitment of police is, is critical? Is, are we going to have to bring in um, uh, the National Guard more? Is there anything that can be done over the next year to quell this storm? I think we need homegrown officers. We need officers to come out of the ashes of these communities where there's so much violence. Uh, we need uh, little black, brown, uh, red, yellow, whatever color kids to grow up to want to be law enforcement, to want to patrol their own communities, to want to be uh, that active voice and helping community grow and strengthening community and police relations. Um, until that time, until we can get those young people interested in law enforcement, we might have to um, rely on our law enforcement partners from the sheriff's department, uh, you know, to, uh, to even the National Guard. I mean, it is what it is. We're going to do what we got to do to keep the residents of the city safe but all while trying to solve the problem, not enough officers, and doing that from a community standpoint, and the community picking the officers they want to patrol their streets. Reg, keep doing what you're doing, and I know it's heavy lifting, buddy. Proud to call you a colleague, and, and uh, I, I mean, we are so freaking lucky uh, to have you on our staff over here and, and to be able to, to, to really give people what's really going on there. Um, and it ain't make-believe, folks. This isn't theatrics, but to have you and your sources and your contacts and your ability uh, to put it in layman's terms is um, – uh, we, we, are, we are very lucky, and, and, and all of us at Channel 4 are thrilled, at least through this, to be able to call you a colleague. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. I'm blessed to work with such an incredible news team, including yourself. You guys, we are family, and uh, what you see on the air is true. We're tighter than tight, 
and uh, we're going to do the best we can for our community. Yeah, especially now. Thanks, Reg. We'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Take care. That's the way it really is, folks. And sometimes I hate giving it to you, but <laughs> Reg has seen it more than I, and he he knows more than any of the other reporters in town. Um, wow. When we come back, why would you play basketball if you knew you were going to lose almost every game by 20 points? We'll ask the coach of a local team that does just that when we come back. Stay with us. I'm fascinated by this story because I think in the midst of the way we compete and the hard we compete and all those things, sometimes a deep breath is necessary. And sometimes um, a high school team can point that out to you. I, I went to the Hmong Academy because I kind of followed from afar this girls basketball team. And I go, my God, they're getting beat bad all the time. And I'm going, why do they do this? Who plays on this team and why do they play on this team? And what I found was truly compelling story that I'll bring you Friday night on, on WCCO-TV, but, but it can be narrated uh, by their head coach, Brent Ness, who joins us now. Coach, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you and I have talked about this a couple of times. We've been out your, at, at your um, uh, building a couple of different times, and, and I say to you as the coach, I say, how do you get kids to play when they know that they're going to get beat by 20 or 30 most nights. And and then I talked to some of the players, and, and I found this just kind of fascinating. Explain who these kids are that play for you and why they play. So our school serves a lot of second second and third generation and some first generation immigrants. So basketball is not necessarily in the blood, especially for the for the girls program. So our varsity team, we've got three players who played before covid and a dozen players who have never played competitive basketball a day in their life. And that's kind of been just an ongoing thing. It's a revolving door of people coming out their junior, sophomore, senior year, um, having never played before. And, and why do they want to go out? You know, I, it's, I've got to give a lot of credit to the girls. Like, we've set this this standard of just having a good time out there. Like, we don't get down on ourselves and I think that that draws people in, that they, they can come onto the team. It's opening, it's welcome, welcoming, um, no matter what your skill level, to get out there. And, and then the word just kind of starts spreading. And so, and so they come out, and, and the expectations are relatively low in terms of wins and losses. How do they proceed from a competitive standpoint, then? Do, do, do they just they say, we're going to have some fun, we're going to bond, we're going to try to learn the game? What, do, do they want to just know how to play basketball? What is it they want? I would say the knowing how to play basketball ranks pretty low on on what they're looking for. They're looking to make friends. They're looking to get out there. They are competitive. Like, and the score might not be competitive, but when we're out on the court, we are setting goals. And that might be, you know, let's score twenty points. Let's close this, you know, gap. Let's hold them for a couple, you know, a couple possessions. So we have to set small goals that aren't necessarily winning the game. And when that goal is set, and they are very competitive. Um, to do that, but uh, like I said, it, we, we definitely have to adjust what we're shooting for. Uh, and then, you know, you, when you achieve those little goals, it it hits home. Like we have lost games and locked off the court in a better mood than the team that beat us because we hit that twenty points. And maybe we lost by forty, but we got the twenty points that we set out there to get. The other piece of it that I find to be uh, redeeming and interesting and important uh, is that. 
the connection that they form amongst each other, basketball simply provides a platform because they end up in the same place at the same time. They, they may not be in the same neighborhood where they live, but, but basketball connects them and it leads to foundationally some friendships that they just would not have without it. Absolutely. At a charter school, you know, we, we don't pull from a local neighborhood. We're pulling from the entire metro area. And then we actually um, we uh, co-op with uh, Agriculture Food Science Academy. So we've got a couple of girls coming over from there. And uh, this is our first year with a co-op. And it made me a little nervous bringing in some people that I didn't know, but it's I shouldn't have been nervous. It, the, the friendships, the, the welcoming attitude that they have. And we, you and I talked about it earlier today, too. It, it goes beyond that. It, it goes to the other teams that we play. Uh, we played Hiawatha Academy, kind of our rival school. They, they're very, very similar um, population over there. They beat us on a buzzer beater, and instead of moping off the court, our girls actually went over there and exchanged Snapchat information with them. That's what so, they said. We're making they... friends everywhere. It is, it's, it's, it's really interesting for me too, because that's not what I come from. I come from you know a very competitive. You know, when you lose like that, that's going to stick with you for days at a time. And if, you know, it's, it's so cliche to say you learn something from the students or from the players, but 100%. Like, I have learned to be a more a, a more gracious, I don't want to say loser, but a more gracious uh, competitor, I guess, and, and leave the losses on the court when you're done and you move on to the next thing. Brent Ness is our guest head coach of the Mung Academy girls basketball team. They've won just one game this season. And yet the players that I talk to, I say, explain, how would you explain this season? Now we all know what would be conventional for most of us to say, well, it's been a tough year and you know, uh, or the bounces didn't go away, whatever they're go And they say to a person, they say, Oh, it's been great. It's been so much fun. And I think, yep. God, I wish I could get there because there's the victory in sports, right? There, 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 that's what sports are about, really. That's why we have, offer them at high school because it's almost like another class on life. And to hear them say that without hesitation uh, because they have so um, uh, moved the priorities of winning versus the priorities of experience, uh, I, I wish they'd stand up in front of everybody on the stage because it really, you know, I know everybody says, well, everybody gets a ribbon. I don't like it. But this is foundationally why we do this, isn't it? hundred percent. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it is why we do it. And it's, it's, it's why we play sports too. I mean, a lot of these girls, you know, they're maybe more competitive when they play volleyball or when they play badminton. Um, but just the fact that they're willing to take that risk and, that's one of the things we talk about with them and all of our students at our school is like taking those good risks. You know, it's scary to go to college. It's scary to, you know, go away and do all that stuff. And there's good risks and taking those things can have such big payoffs. And I think, uh, I think most of our girls would agree that taking that risk to come out to basketball, you know, it, I'm, I'm hoping that it really paid off for all of them. Leaving their comfort zone is what they talk about, isn't it? Yep. And, and you yeah, might embarrass are. yourself, but you know what? At the end of it, they say, I, and, and I asked, I said, what would you tell a freshman that's thinking about going out? And, and they gave the reasons as to why they should go out, and it had nothing to do with winning and losing or scoring points. And I thought, isn't that awesome uh, that, you know, uh, and, and sometimes it takes kids to teach us, but, I mean, isn't that awesome that the reasons they gave were like, man, get out here, find out about yourself, you'll meet these people, and all of a sudden you'll have friendships in the hallways, and, and, and these people that you go to school with become your friends. And, and now, you know, guess what? you got people you can lean on for your personal life because you shared a mm -hmm. basketball court with them, and I'm sure you've seen this repeated time and time again. Yeah, and, you know, not to make it a 
bigger story than it needs to be, but it kind of goes back to the, your previous segment where you're talking about, you know, people getting out and finding negative influences, having that opportunity for positive influences inside the school, whether it's sports or, you know, we've started a bass fishing club and an esports club, having those things that, you know, a kid can find a home inside the school and make those connections, those positive connections that they can lean on for now and in the future. Brent Ness, our guest, and, and Brent, as a coach, don't you find that everybody wants to be a part of a team, and you just got to be real careful what team you select because the the team can be a gang, the team can be a bad yep. influence, and but everybody wants to be on a team. It seems to me. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree with that. And as much as I don't understand esports and bass fishing's not my thing, yeah. you know, if if that is your thing, then let's let's get them let's get them a part of that team. Yeah, whatever connects you and whatever makes you a better person and, and gives you self-esteem is, is the big one. Well, Brent, thank you very much for, for sharing with us. And uh, it was fun to, to get to know you and a couple of the players out there. But keep doing what you're doing. Hey, thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. I was glad to see you come uh, come and check out some of these other schools out there. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. It's fun to me because if we're really doing our job, it's not just about covering the headliners, and sometimes the best stories are found elsewhere. Brent Nast, head coach, we'll have a piece on it on Friday night on our high school sports rally on WCCO-TV that uh, uh, you know we shot the game, we, we did the interviews with the kids. You'll see what I mean. It's certainly not about quality. Uh, in terms of play, but it's about quality in terms of relationships and experience. Uh, when we come back, Tubbsy throws that around, the reason that he got into sports. Stay with us. Tubbsy, did you ever play on a team that wasn't very good and you had a great time? Yes. Yeah, I've uh, I played on a lot of teams that were not very good because I wasn't very No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, but no, I, I I played on teams where you realize that maybe it's not going to be you know, you're not going to be in a lot of those games, but you learn that you're just doing it because you want to be around your friends, and and it's the camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's where you, you know you can always win if you choose to win. I guess is what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's a mindset. It's about the power of positivity. You know, it, it is you you can make your environment what you want it to be based on your attitude. I I really believe that. And, and, and there's an old saying, you either win or you learn. I mean, if you look at it that way, hey, we lo- well, no, I learned. Mm-hmm. There's always something that gets you better. Yeah. I mean, every day is an opportunity to improve yourself in yeah. some way, shape, or form. I, n- no day is ever going to be wasted as long as you are able to get up and, and you know get yourself out of bed and you take your breaths and open your eyes, then you have an opportunity to learn something that day. Yeah, for sure, for sure. How bothered are you that we're not talking about baseball yet? I'm I'm bothered by it, Maxie. I, I really, it didn't. I I hear more negativity about it now. You know about okay, well, you know, if you don't have an agreement by February 28th, and you know, the spring training, you know, is completely off the table. Regular season games are going to get canceled. Players aren't going to get paid. You know, and you know, none of these games are going to be made up. And I'm like, we just went through this with COVID. And I think I mentioned this to you, I think like last week or something. It's like, how can you not figure this out? Your one job is to figure out how to get the players on the field, how to get your game. What is more important for the you know Major League Baseball Players Association and Major League Baseball than getting games that are played between the lines? What is more important? Is it... Is it really worth all of the complaining and the moaning and groaning back and forth and the bickering? 
I'd say I just don't understand why you can't get something done. I mean, I agree. I, I don't, you know, nobody's losing in this deal. Whatever the deal is, everybody wins big, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you know, I'm not going to get into the millionaires versus billionaires thing because, you know, it's been done to death. Well documented. Well yeah. Documented. Yeah. And, and I mean, to me, it's it's such a cliche when you hear that. But to me, I'm I'm more upset that they don't see the damage that they're doing. And these are both sides. I understand that people put more onus on the owners because of the lockout, not a strike. I I understand that. But to me, I feel like both sides need to be more aggressive at the bargaining table. And if you have to sit there for 15 hours a day, sit there for 15 hours a day, but figure it out. Figure it out and let's get on with our lives. Yeah, exactly. And I think Major League Baseball kind of is in a position where – they have to be careful because they are America's national pastime in name only. Like people are, you lose fans at this point, Maxie, you're not going to get some of those people back. I mean, you know, they've had, you know, they had McGuire Sosa in 98. You don't have something to bring the casual fan back like you did back then. Like you don't have something. wonder what that would be if you, as you look at baseball right Oof, now. If you're saying I don't know. Bring it, yeah. And I'm not saying it's dead because otherwise you wouldn't be arguing over billions of dollars. So obviously it's alive and well. Yeah. You know? yeah but, but, but I'm just saying, I, I wonder, you know, you always look at what would, what would be, you know, the, mm-hmm. the NFL to an extent got through COVID because Tom Brady went to Tampa and won a Super Bowl, you know? Yeah. And uh, and then this year they had you know just some outstanding playoff games that led to the Super Bowl, which was also you know down to the wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just wonder what what would you know what it would take in baseball. What would people be looking for? You know, I, I don't know. I don't think baseball right now, the health of the game itself, is in a very good position. But it's be- relatively speaking. I mean, everybody's—they're all making billions in this MLB.com. They tell me is off the charts. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, wise. yeah, I, I mean, in, in terms of what. You know, players, what 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 would Major League Baseball need to do to, you know, to, to bring back the sense? Like, the game, to me, it's way too damn long, number one. Well, you, you, know what, it, you know what's funny about that, though? Nobody will talk about this. Yeah. You can shorten it up. Just do less ads. Oh, wait, less commercials. <laughs> oh, wait. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that. No, that's the lifeblood. That's the lifeblood. You know what I'm saying, though? Yeah, no, it, it, there is. I mean, there's... Yeah, there's pace of play. There's okay, yeah. but let, let me ask you this. Yeah, uh, there's lots of activity on a soccer field. Fewer breaks, mm-hmm. and yet there's very few goals scored. Can you capture a mass audience if you don't score more goals? I think you can, but because I mean, there, there's got to be constant movement. With, with at least in soccer, you you always have that movement and i love baseball was my sport growing up like i i, I you played used to it. chuck it a little bit from the hill I, I did yeah i mean i i played i played six days a week and i played slow pitch softball like at night i mean i was i was all over it but i mean right now it's just it's it's just it doesn't hold your attention because the the game itself it's either strikeout or a home run that they're there's just not much action in terms of balls being hit in play, hit and run. But you know, a, but is that the answer to the next generation is strikeout or home run because that's what they can relate to? Yeah, and it's I think it's all about the way that kids are being taught. What they see, you know, they see that you know it could be the Steve Balboni, Rob Deere. We're going to hit two fourteen with thirty five, forty home runs. I mean, that's that's what that's what passes for 
you know, quality baseball, no, you know, nowadays. I mean, there's no Mattingly's, there's no Boggs, there's no George Bretts, there's no guys that are hitting 375, 380. I mean, it, I, I don't know. Maybe I just sound like an old fuddy-duddy. Get him on, get him over, get him in, he's gone. Yes, yes. I mean, it, it's just, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like. But is that just smart? I mean, is that just smart for for managers to recognize and go, look, we got these guys 220 pounds. Mm -hmm. I'm not screwing around button and stealing. Let them swing hard, and at the end of the game, we win. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, though, that, that, you know, I mean, would you rather watch a guy like Miguel Sano take, you know, five at-bats a game, or do you want somebody... You know, like a, 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 you know, like a Wade Ball or a Joe Mauer. You know, would you rather watch Mauer? You know, Mauer didn't have a whole lot of power. And then people would say, well, why didn't he swing at the first pitch? Remember that? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Joe I, Mauer I, wasn't comfortable until he had two strikes on him. Yeah, that, that's pretty confident is what that is. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just the way that, just the way that the game is played. And, and I, can, I sound like an old fuddy-duddy, and I don't mean to, but I, MLB's flawed, and I think they're overstating their importance to the casual sports fan at this point. Okay, so so uh, Steve Thompson's in for Henry Lake coming up next. Do you know what's on his docket? I I don't know what's on they his. They keep docket. that secret now, don't they? Yeah, they, they don't. Just, I see that file, and I went over to look at it once. He says, "Don't touch that." I I, I know they don't. Uh, they don't let me spoil things. It's kind of a surprise, I guess. Yeah, I know, and I, I just uh, then, now they got in a wall safe over there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I we know. don't know, but all we're going to say is it's going to be good, right? It's going to be good because it's going to be Stevie T and Hammer tonight. All right, very good. Good to be with you, my friend. You too, Maxie. That's Tubbsy. I'm Mike Max. Steve Thompson's coming up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.